Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by Blue Handle Publishing, home to the Neil Baggio thriller series by Charles D'Amico, plus a brand new release, The Unwinding Cable Car by local best-selling author Andrew Brandt. Author Hamilton Raines was supposed to be the next big thing, but after three underperforming novels and a failed marriage, his career is on the brink until he meets a mysterious woman at a coffee shop. Before long, his career is looking up and he's thrust into the spotlight of celebrity, but it comes with a price, and he soon discovers the deadly cost of his ambition. Learn more about The Unwinding Cable Car at BlueHandlePublishing.com. Today's guest is Nikki Green. Way back in the first year of this podcast, 2017, I interviewed Dusty Green, a former news anchor who sold everything to travel the world and create a television show with his wife. Well, today we get Nikki Green's side of the story. She's the co-host of Two for the Road, a regional Emmy-nominated travel and adventure show playing over the air on local public television stations across the United States. Season four of the show just premiered this month with an episode shot in Namibia. Nikki and I talk about her upbringing in Claude, her early career in Amarillo, how she and Dusty quit their jobs to travel full-time, and what impact the pandemic has had on their travel and production schedule. This is a really fun episode. Here's Nikki Green. Nikki Green, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thank, thanks for being here. Thank you, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm a nervous wreck, but uh, we'll get through this well, one way or another. And <laughs> as I told you before we started, you're on TV all the time. I don't know how a podcast is going to be that much more stressful than uh, filming a travel TV show, but um, we'll see. Different things. So I, I wanted to say thanks for being on the show. I know I interviewed Dusty very early in this podcast. It was in the, act- the, the first year that I was doing it, so that was... Um, almost three years ago, and I told Dusty at the time, I really want to talk to Nick and hear her perspective after he gave his. So I'm glad that we finally made that work uh, like we have been doing. We were on my back porch on a relatively cool uh, morning, cooler than it has been, so hopefully we can get through this without shivering too much. It's about <laughs> 60 degrees out here. It feels pretty good, actually. It, it's nice. Um, hopefully a taste of things to come. So I want to start like I start with every guest and ask you how you ended up in this area in the first place. So what brought you to Amarillo and the Texas Panhandle? So I grew up in Claude, the big town of Claude, Texas. I, you know, I started kindergarten in Claude and except for one semester, I went all the way through high school and graduated from Claude. So Except for one t- semester. Yes. Where was that one well, semester? Well, my parents divorced and my mom moved to Dalhart. And so one semester I went to Dalhart and then What's, went. <laughs> it's so loud. This is like, you know, doing an interview on Two for the Road. I, I can imagine. <laughs> motorcycles, motorcycles running by. Motorcycles, <laughs> airplanes. Okay. Let me start with that. So what was that one semester that you were not at Claude? So my parents divorced when I was in high school, and my mom moved to Dalhart. And so I went to Dalhart for a semester, and I decided, yeah, that's that's just not for me. It was a much bigger school. Mm-hmm. And so I went back, lived with my grandparents, and finished out my senior year um, in Claude. So, okay, so tell me what it was like going all those years of schooling in a small town like Claude. Well, you know, if you asked me then, it was terrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> but looking back, it was it was great to grow up in that small little community. I had I graduated with eighteen people. Okay. Um, and a lot of us started in kindergarten together. So yeah. and we're still great friends and and so close. And so it, it was great growing up that way. And a class of eighteen, you're going to be closer to those students than, you know, a, a class of four hundred and you go to a twenty year reunion and you don't know like half the people there. But eighteen, you know everybody. Eighteen. In fact, we had our ten year reunion at our house, mine and us's really? house. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I, I'm always interested in the stories of people who grew up in the small towns of the Panhandle and what their relationship was to Amarillo. So Claude, you know, only about 30 minutes away. Was it the kind of thing where you were in Amarillo pretty frequently? So growing up in Claude, going to town meant going to Amarillo. <laughs> so we would do, you know, our big grocery shopping. Uh, I have five younger brothers and sisters. Okay. So that would be my mom in the front seat and the five of us scattered all over the car. Like and, a passenger and, van or something? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was a station wagon and, you know, all of us fighting. He's touching me. He's looking at me and that sort of thing. So that was going to Amarillo <laughs> for me. But yeah, and then, you know, growing up in Claude, it's always that next step. Ooh, I'm going to move to Amarillo and move to the big city. As soon as I graduate high school, I'm going to the big city because that's, you know, what Amarillo was to us. And did that happen? I mean, oh, yeah, okay. immediately. Yeah, as soon as, I gradu- or as soon as I graduated high school, moved to Amarillo, yeah. Tell me what that was like. I mean, did, did Amarillo meet your expectations was the dream what you had imagined moving here? Or? Oh, oh, yeah, at that point, yeah. Okay. Because, you know, I'm so used to being in that t- tiny little community of 1,100 people or whatever. So to move to Amarillo and, you know, get out on your own and have your first place. And, and uh, yeah, I loved it. So tell me what you did as college, career, that sort of thing. So where Dusty and I are really different is that Dusty knew what his career path was going to be early on. I had no idea. And so people make fun of me because of I've had 40 jobs or something. I mean, I've just done everything because I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, I when I was in high school, I worked at the local grocery store, Johnny's Grocery Store, which closed down recently for a while. So mm. Claude didn't have a grocery store. Wow. But they've just opened it back up again. So that's cool. Um, but I've done everything from, oh my gosh, working at Dairy Queen to uh, I worked, I lived in Hawaii for a short time. Okay. And uh, so I worked there for Transair and I worked the desk. And then I went outside and did like air traffic control. Okay. So actually <laughs> in the travel industry then. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that. I, I have a story like that. One time I was flying and the guy who checked in my bag, like I saw him doing air traffic, you know, the, yeah. the motions and stuff as we were leaving. I was like, what kind of airline is this that I'm flying on? Where exactly. The- that was my job. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly that kind. It wasn't in Hawaii though. So. <laughs> so yeah. So I've had crazy jobs. Well, when I moved back to Amarillo from Hawaii, there was an ad in the paper for an orthodontic assistant. Well, I had never even stepped foot in an orthodontic office. I never had braces, so I didn't know what to expect, and I didn't even know what an orthodontic assistant was. Um, so I walked in, interviewed, got that job, and uh, it was for Charles and Bill Osborne here. Um, Osborne Orthodontics is still up and running. Okay. And um, gosh, that was so many years ago. But they took me in and trained me. And then I ended up going to AC um, to further my education in that field and uh, get my registration and all that sort of thing. Um, but I did that for almost 15 years. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I know that um, for, for listeners who know a little bit about your story, 
you know, the working in the orthodontic realm ended up being pretty instrumental once you and Dusty decided to quit your jobs, travel full time, and then kind of got back into finding, you know, a career in, in video and stuff like that. And so, you know, you remained in that world, even though how you approach it is, is shifted a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So I had been in that field for about 15 years, give or take, and Dusty had been working at Channel 7 for the same amount of time. And we just kind of both plateaued mm-hmm. in our careers. And and every time we traveled, and I'm sure this happens to everyone, but every time we traveled, we would land back home and be like, oh, we just want to get back out and travel right. again. So we kind of got to that point, and we just we just weren't happy, and we weren't fulfilled in what we were doing. So we literally were in the hot tub one night and we were talking and we're like, let's do something different. Let's just, let's just go. Let's just travel and then figure it out. And so we gave notice at our jobs, told them, hey, we're just going to take off and, and go backpack across South America and see what that might be. And of course, our parents thought we were in our 30s, you know, around yeah. 35. And so our parents and everyone they were just like, you're crazy. What are you doing? I mean, like that's something you careers. do at the beginning <laughs> right. of your career in before your 20s. you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, you're, you're leaving great jobs and you're just going to go backpack across South America. What, you know, but it was great and it, it changed our lives. It really did. So when we got back, we really didn't know what we were going to do. And we had always wanted to live in Austin, live in the big city. And so we did that. Um, and while we were there, we had to figure out how, how are we going to make money? Cause we had spent everything we had in South America, uh, cause we had sold everything, mm-hmm. you know, and then took off to South America, but we had gone through all that money. So with Dusty's career and my career, we kind of just put those two together and we created, um, Orthomedia and, uh, we started doing videos for orthodontists all over the country. And at this point, I think we have, and we still do that. A little bit. And so we, we have over 100 um, clients from, you know, coast to coast and into Canada doing orthodontic videos. Is there, is there something specialized enough about that that you do draw on your past, you know, working in those offices? Is, is that part of your selling point of why you and Dusty are so skilled at it? For sure. Yeah, because, because I have been in an orthodontic office for so long, um, I kind of know the ins and outs of that. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a field that is changing so much. I mean, daily, it seems like with technology, but I still know how those offices run. And so it's kind of easy for us to get in there and and do what we need to do. And I think it also kind of sets everyone at ease in Mm -hmm. that situation because they know, Hey, she's been here. She knows exactly what this is about. And so, yeah, I think that's um, helped us a lot and there's no other company out there that, that has that sort of um, background, so and you still like that still is part of your job. Then, it is, today. yeah, and and we don't do as much. Mainly, it's return clients mm-hmm. go back and do stuff for them, but um, but yeah, we still do that, and I enjoy it because I still do get to see what's going on in orthodontics, and um, so yeah, it's cool. Okay, so we skipped over a, a big aspect of of your life, and which is the travel aspect and the travel show and quitting your jobs and all that stuff. I I know that. You know, I've, I've spoken to Dusty about it, and I've gotten his perspective. I'd like to hear your perspective, because if you, say, have one spouse who says, you know what, let's just quit our jobs and let's go travel, well, the other spouse has to agree with that, and it has to be on the same page. And I wonder, 
if both of you were on the same page, if it took some pushing and pulling and compromise to make sure, you know, the entire marital unit was okay with that decision. So tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, I think we were definitely both on the same page, but Dusty was just, you know, all excited and just ready to go where I and I still am that that nervous person, um, the one that worries about everything and, you know, how will we do this and how will we do that? So even, you know, we went on an open ticket, so we didn't know where we were going to go. We didn't have an itinerary. We just kind of, you know, went and and day by day figured it out. So I, I wanted to do it, but at the same time, I was I was really scared because, I mean, I, I, I grew up in Claude. I hadn't really been out of Claude, Texas. And, um, you know, Amarillo, but that's it. And I had done, a, you know, a few little trips. And Dusty and I had gone to Mexico, all-inclusive and that sort of stuff. Um, so it was a big leap for both of us. But, um, yeah, I was, I was kind of freaked out about it. <laughs> Tell me about that very first trip. You know, when you, you weren't filming a TV show, I mean, maybe you did a little bit because you're you trying to sort of create a pilot, but um, you were just traveling and backpacking around. What were some of the things that, that maybe you learned during that time? Because it was so new and it was so different from what you'd been doing. I mean, like, was it, we talk about travel being a, a type of self-discovery. You're in your 30s, which is not always a time for self-discovery, <laughs> right. but like, did you, did you learn some things about yourself? I think what I really learned was um, Dusty and I, that's when we really became a team. I mean, we had to because we had to rely on each other really to survive. And um, so I think that really brought us together more than any one single thing, I think. Um, I think I think we Dusty and I are, I don't know, we're just different. We are we are true soulmates we're best friends so I think it just made our marriage stronger um, I think I realized that gosh I don't know we like I said when I got here it's weird being here without him because mm-hmm. we are connected at the hip I mean since that trip we really we might go two days a year that we don't see each other <laughs> so, so I wondered if he might show up with you I, mean, I, I really didn't well, know he asked he was like you sure you don't want me to go I was like oh I'm, I'm gonna try to be a big girl and do this all by myself <laughs> but yeah we are I mean we're just and and I remember when we first kind of started um doing this Dusty's dad said he said are you sure that you're gonna be able to be with each other 24 7 every day and not kill each other and we're like, well, we're going to try it. And um, it's still working. So, <laughs> Yeah, tell me, tell me about that process then. Because one of the things that you know, I know about travel is that inevitably you're going to be faced with a situation where something goes wrong. And a lot of you know, family psychologists you know, will say, your family should travel together because you're going to endure a crisis. And that always brings you closer together. But as a couple that travels as a career you're doing that constantly. It's not like a one-week family vacation every year. And so you're constantly, you know, exposing yourself to crisis moments. Um, And I wonder how the two of you handle that when you're also trying to film a TV show, you're also trying to be calm and collected on camera, you know, you're hosting things, but you're, you're going through the same crisis moments as you traveled that anybody else would. So tell me how you guys navigate that sort of stuff. Um, well, I, I'm not going to say it's all unicorns and rainbows. 
And that you can hide that from the camera. <laughs> right. I know a lot of it's occurring off camera. But. Um, right. But yeah, we do. We get into some really stressful moments. Um, a lot of stuff is going on in the background and it's just, it depends on the trip itself. Um, but yeah, I think that goes back to us really being such a good team. And so even if we do have those stressful moments and that crazy stuff going on, it just kind of, we get together and get through it instead of like bickering with each other. Um, I think if we did that, there's no way that we would be able to do what we do, but we just really work as a team and, uh, you know, and, and persevere no no matter what that might be and we've been in some sticky situations some pretty crazy stuff in the very beginning um before we were doing the show but on our on our south america trip in the very beginning because we started off in costa rica at a spanish immersion school to learn spanish before we went backpacking through and it was gosh the first week maybe and we had gone out because you know here we are 35 and all the other students are in their you know 20s mm-hmm. or even younger and so we went out to a little club with them one night and a big riot broke out. Wow. And it was a sketchy where we lived was a pretty sketchy neighborhood. Um, our hosts were wonderful, but it was still pretty sketchy. And so a huge riot broke out, beer bottles throwing at people. I mean, it was crazy. And one of the students that had been in school for a while looked over at us and she said, you have a knife, right? <laughs> we were like, no, we don't have a knife. And uh, so we have to walk home that night, and it was maybe six blocks or whatever in pitch black. But, you know, we held each other's hands, and mm-hmm. we, we we just did it because we had to. And I think that's a lot of things that we run into. It's we have to do this, and we just just do it. Tell me how you, t- you talk about the team approach of the two of you traveling together, um, and it's travel and a business at the same time. I, I wonder how you guys divide some of your duties like what are the things that dusty is in charge of what are the things that you are in charge of as you plan these trips as you execute these trips um dusty does about 99 percent of all of it (laughs) um in the very beginning dusty pulled me in kicking and screaming he did because i mean i didn't do anything like this before i wasn't used to the spotlight still i'm not you know i mean we're in our fourth season and i'm still not used to the spotlight so but dusty is so creative he's so um he can do that man can do anything and so he does all of our editing i mean i'll do you know i'll kind of get everything ready um and then he edits everything he does all the graphics he picks all the music when we're out in the field he does 75 percent of or maybe more of the shooting um i handle more of the social media um and that sort of stuff and so we both stay really busy, but he, I don't know how he does it. I really don't. I mean, 13 episodes this year, we have six because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but 13 episodes a season. And I mean, he's in there sometimes from seven in the morning till two in the morning on that computer editing and putting this stuff together. I think that, I think folks really don't realize what goes in to a TV show when there's only two people doing Everything. Yeah, you don't have a crew no. with you. <laughs> no, we don't have a crew. We don't have makeup. We don't have, we don't have any of that. We don't have an editor. We don't have a you know a third photographer. It's just the two of us, and it started out that way, and hopefully it'll always be that way. Maybe we'll get another photographer. That would be really cool, <laughs> um, because we lose a lot of the dy- dynamic that we have between the two of us. It's hard to get with just two, you know, with us being the only two. Um, well, but because yeah, both of you 
are operating a camera generally, right? right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we can't, we can get each other, but we lose a lot of that, the both of us together, you know, if we could have a third photographer and maybe one of these days, if we start making some money, we'll get that. <laughs> so I, I feel like, obviously I know that Dusty is super talented. Um, I feel like you're probably selling yourself short because you have had to learn to operate a camera. I'm sure you've had to learn, you know, some audio techniques to make sure the mics are working and hooking those things up. You, you do a lot of the voiceover for the show. So I, I, I want to know, you know, what are some of the things that, that have really stretched you just in learning a new, you know, medium? You're, you're having to do this broadcast stuff that that was not your world. And so tell me a little bit about that. Um, gosh, it's all been... It's all been stressful and hard. I mean, in the beginning, so hard for me. Dusty would turn the camera on, and I literally was one of those people that just froze in front of a camera. I mean, I just never had that. And so, and sometimes I, I still do that. I think the hardest thing for me has been voiceover. It has been hmm. so hard. And you can see that in the shows, hopefully, progressing from especially, you know, I look at the second season and I just kind of cringe. I'm like, oh my gosh, my voiceover. And, and, you know, and we, and we got lots of complaints about that, really? which is, yeah. And it's, and it's. Who complains about a voiceover? Oh my gosh, you would not believe. Really? You would not believe. And a lot of it was constructive. And at that point you're kind of like, oh wow, this is a problem, you know? And I, and I felt terrible, but I mean, you can't go back. It's already out there. Um, but oh my gosh, yeah, messages you would not believe. Hateful, terrible messages, mm. but then also very constructive. Sweet, you know, hey, I'm just trying to help out kind of thing. You know, I really love the show, but this drives me crazy. Well, people may not realize voiceover is hard. It's like, so you hard. are reading something absent whatever is happening. You know, it's four months later, but you have to read it in an engaging way. There's There's an acting component to it that is not natural for a lot of people. Yeah, and you can either be way over the top, which I was in season two, or you can be very dull, um, or you can sound like you're reading, or, you know, and it's, it is, it's really hard. It's been really hard for me. But, you know, you just keep going, and you, and you try not to cry when you get those really mean <laughs> messages. <laughs> and then, you know, and I write everybody back. I mean, really? that's one thing about us on any of our social media, we don't have anyone doing that for us. It's it's typically always me. Um, sometimes Dusty will if he's in there. But, you know, I always write everyone back. Thank you so much. And I understand that. Believe me, I've got a lot of these messages and I'm trying to make that better. I promise, please stick with us. And, you know, hopefully next episode or next season I'll do better, you know. Um, and then the mean ones, I you know, sometimes I don't write those back because they're so mean. <laughs> well, those are people that just want to be mean, most likely. Right. Don't feed the trolls. Um, but yeah, that's been the hardest part for me. Um, as far as the rest of it, it you know, I, I, it's also learning. I mean, I'm still learning stuff about the cameras. Um, but, I, you know, you just get better. It's like anything that you do. You just get better and better. I hope better and better um, as you go. And there's an intricacy to travel even when you're not trying to record footage. I mean, it can be complicated if you're trying to handle flight itineraries or train rides or, you know, hailing taxis or tuk-tuks or whatever you're doing. You guys are trying to do that while also filming everything. I, I wonder, like, which is, is there a part of just the basic travel experience that maybe is, is the role that you take, whether it's planning, finding a place to eat, um, you know, navigating any of the relationships. What, what, what's your role in that part of it? I do do a lot of that. 
I do um, work with a, a lot of the places that we go. We have guides, and mm-hmm. so I work with the guides a lot. Um, I try to handle all the pre-planning of of the trips and do the hotels and all of that sort of stuff. I try to do all that and have that have that ready to go. Now you know, anytime you travel, <laughs> a lot of those things don't work the way you think they're going to work, and um, so that you know that part's hard. I think every time me and Dusty get on a plane, it's delayed or, you know, something major happens or it seems like every single trip that we take, we're always a day late mm-hmm. <laughs> or a day late getting back or something. I think we just, as much as we travel, we still have so much bad luck traveling. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I handle a lot of the logistics as far as that goes too. Okay. So you mentioned the fourth season, which uh, has started this fall. Um, you have more places broadcasting the show than ever before. You've been really successful with that. Uh, but it's also a season that was cut short because of the pandemic. And so I know a lot of, well, for one thing, we'll see you traveling in a pre-pandemic world, I imagine, as, as we continue to watch this season. Um, but I wonder what you know COVID has done to your careers as you've tried to navigate, you know, travel in a world where most people are not traveling. And, and when you have a travel show, that, mm-hmm. that poses a problem. Uh, so tell me what it's been like over the past few months for the two of you. Well, we've been grounded just like everyone else has been. And uh, it has. It's been it's been really hard for us because um, we're a travel show, but we're also we're one of those mom and pop small businesses. I mean, we really are. And so we have no income coming in. And so it's been it's been really hard on that front. It's also been really hard because we are traveling more than we're home usually. Mm-hmm. And so we have been at home since this whole thing started. And so that's been really crazy. First time in like many years, many right? Many years, many years. Yeah, so that's been really really wild. We've got a lot of things done around the house that <laughs> have been needing to get done for many years. I'm sure a lot of people have. Um, but that's been really crazy for us. And so we've kind of had to step out of the box and think of new ways. You know, I, honestly, we didn't know if we would have a season or have two for the road anymore because it's been it's been that bad. If we didn't have our sponsors this year for this season, we would have we couldn't have done it. So and it's and, you know, we usually have 13 seasons this year. We'll only have six. We did have five of them already pre-recorded thankfully okay. um but this last one because you know when when dusty and i started two for the road we're, we're good texans we are proud of texas and so we said we're gonna have a texas episode every season well this texas episode is that was the last thing that we had to film and we didn't know what we were gonna do and so Luckily, we live in a pretty great area, right? And so um, we've been able to do that here in our own backyard. And so I'm, we're really proud of that episode, and just cannot wait for people to see that. Which episode will that be? In that the will be the final episode. So that'll be um, episode six. Okay. Any teases you oh, know, to gosh. what that includes? I mean, what can we look for? Oh, it, it's just incredible. It's it's a little bit of Caprock Canyons which I think a lot of people don't even know about. Mm-hmm. Um, Route 66. Um, we did some crazy stuff in Paladura Canyon and got some amazing footage. Um, I think it's really just going to kind of blow people away. Well, we look forward to that. I, I'm curious what you think, maybe having talked 
to others in your industry, talked to um, any of the sponsors and the, the tour guides that you work with? I mean, what are you hearing about the potential for travel in 2021? Nothing really good, unfortunately. Um, the The company that we work with the most, they've had their have. I mean, it's just terrible. It's just terrible um, talking to them, and they're here in the states, and they've had to let people go. Um, it, it's just terrible. Um, our friends in other countries, they're all the gods are losing their jobs. I mean, they they you know they don't have anything to do they, they can't be a guide anymore and they've been guides for years and so it's it's been devastating and um from what we hear i mean people are optimistic and you know but we just don't know i've heard of a lot of travel companies like you said starting to shift how they handle things you know maybe they um they focused on international travel and now they're turning to more domestic travel you know because it's still travel we can still travel you know make a a long road trip in the united states there's a lot of the states that we haven't seen i i wonder if you've started thinking about the future you know beyond this season what it might look like in the next year or two until things you know conceivably get back to normal we have you know we hear and we think that next year will be the year of the great american road trip Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what we plan on doing is just sticking with domestic locations next year and and there's no telling what's going to happen but um we hope to kind of go coast to coast and do domestic stuff for the next season and i think i think that's been one thing that's been great to see through throughout this is people have realized what is in their backyard and maybe they didn't before because they could go other places but now we've kind of had to stick around our own place and so maybe found things that you didn't really know was here and um and we've even we have friends in Australia same thing you know we were talking to them the other day and he was like what's been great is I have learned more about the city that I live in Mm -hmm. than I than I ever knew so I think there'll be a lot more of that. And I, you know, it's a it's a good thing to to realize wow, we really have a lot right here in our own backyard. Yeah, I want to dig into that just a little bit more because I know that you know, you're constantly traveling and returning home to this area. And then you've just finished shooting an episode about this area and and what makes it attractive uh to people who live here but also to travelers. Um what kind of perspective have you gotten on Amarillo and the Texas Panhandle as like a potential destination for people. We take it all for granted because we live here, um, but it is a place that travelers actually come to. It is, and and I, I really hope that this episode will really kind of show that off. And I know there have been, you know, tons of, of travel shows that have, that have featured the Panhandle, but we kind of did it a little differently because I think we kind of know about a few other mm-hmm. places being locals. It's um, not all the big Texan and Cadillac right, Ranch. Right. It's not all the touristy kind of things. It's the it's the things that people don't really know about. And I'm excited to show that um, to everyone, but I'm really excited to show that to some of the friends that we've made across the world, you know, because they're always asking. Because people, people in other countries are, they're enamored with the Texas Panhandle, with the Wild West, with... Um, cowboy boots and cowboy hats. I mean, when we travel, we always have people 
you know, talk about our accents and we have everyone saying y'all mm-hmm. and, you know, and they love that. But one of the first things they always say is, do you really have a cowboy hat and cowboy boots? And Yeah, I really do. We both really do. Um, so I'm excited for them to get to see where we live and, and some of the beauty that we have in our own backyard. Okay, so this space is typically reserved for a sponsor message, but I'm not going to do that for this episode. What I want to do is to encourage you to vote. It's that simple. This is a presidential election year, and of course, every presidential election is important. But due to uh, an incredible number of factors this year, the coronavirus, the hurricanes and wildfires, the civil rights protests, a lot of the uncertainty about voting and the transfer of power, because of all those things, this election feels more monumental than usual. There's just a lot on the line. So what I just want to do is encourage you to vote and maybe even vote early, especially if you want to avoid long lines and any election day concerns. Early voting is underway. It started last week and it's open until October 30th, which is six days longer than usual. To vote early, if you live in Potter County, go to the Santa Fe building, to Casey Carpet One at 3500 I-40, to United Amigos on East I-40 in Grand, to Hillside Christian Church Northwest on Tascosa Road, or to Cornerstone Outreach at 1111 North Buchanan. If you're a Randall County resident, you can vote early at the Randall County Annex in Amarillo, the Southwest Branch Library in Amarillo, Comanche Trail Church of Christ in Amarillo, or the Randall County Justice Center in Canyon. But whatever you do, go vote. Okay, I'm back with Nikki Green of Two for the Road. Nikki, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight artifacts from the Antelope Creek people who lived centuries and centuries ago. So you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, now I've got eight questions for you. These are similar to questions I've asked other guests. Um, and you can answer in as much detail as you want to. The, the first one is relatively new. What's one thing the last few months related to the pandemic or the protests over the summer um, have revealed to you about local people? Well, we live out in Howardwick, tiny little community outside of Clarendon. So Donnelly County um, was hit really hard in the very beginning. It was so – we our numbers were so high in the very beginning that um, – the Wall Street Journal came and spoke with our local doctor there, who's yeah. also the county judge. Right, <laughs> Small right. town, you know. Um, so it was scary. And and so being a tiny community, um, we know people that have tested positive for COVID. I, we have family, a family member that's tested positive. We know people from our community that have been hospitalized on ventilators. Um, we have a friend who's had a family member that passed. Um, so it, it hit hard. Um, I think what I noticed, what we noticed the most was how everyone in the community surrounded those people and um, really helped out and lended um, a helping hand in any way that they could, um, which was no surprise because that's, that's the that's kind of... kind of what happens in a small yeah, town yeah. regardless of pandemic or not. For sure, yeah. That's the kind of community that we have and that we have all over the Texas panhandle. And so I I think that's what I found out about that. Okay. What does this area have too much of? 
Bad drivers. <laughs> okay. Now, someone who's traveled around the world, I'm sure you're experienced with bad drivers. I am. And you know who you are out there. I mean, I love you as a person, but you just can't drive. <laughs> no, but um, with, with the construction and I, I just... And also that has to do with me living in Howardwick, you know, and 400 people. And so, um, yeah, so when, when we come to the big city, uh, it's stressful for us. And and there are some bad drivers out there. Even so though, (laughs) like I've traveled a little bit. I've, I've ridden, you know, in, in cities where, you know, my driver has run through a red light and just honks on the way through it to courteously let people know he's about to run that red light. Where You know, a lot of the traffic rules and customs are very different from ours. And so bad drivers here probably aren't even as bad as some places you've been, oh, right? Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. When we, when we were in uh, Costa Rica, the first day we went to Spanish school, our driver hit another car on the way to school and the guy came out and they looked at it we're like, all right, see you later. I mean, <laughs> so that yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Um, what does this area not have enough of? Um, good drivers. No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, you know, uh, taco villas. In Amarillo, you can get taco villas. Yes. But in any little surrounding area, no taco villas. And you'll notice anyone that leaves Amarillo, that's one thing that they want. They're always, they can't wait to get to Amarillo and get taco villa. And then, of course, you know, now in the small communities, they've come for our Dairy Queens, too. So, yeah. I mean, what are we supposed to how are we supposed to live? <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Taco Villa. I've been surprised that I don't know if any guests really have done that. Yeah. And it is one of those things that has such a passionate following. And we used to have so many more. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid in the 80s, uh, even early 90s, um, there were Taco Villas all over the city. And now those restaurants are filled by you know, Bagel Place or Crazy Larry's. I mean, all these other restaurants exist in what used to be a Taco Villa. Yeah, and you can always tell. You can always tell. <laughs> right. Um, so the the heyday of Taco Villa has passed, but at least it's still around. And there are people who come back to Amarillo, and that's like their first meal. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> okay. How do you describe the panhandle to people outside this area? Oh, gosh. You know, if you, if you just, which most people do, they just drive straight through the panhandle. Um, if you stop... And you get out and you explore. I think you'll realize what a special place this is. And it's not just the beauty. I mean, we have the second largest canyon in the United States. I mean, it's, but it's not just the beauty. It's the people. And the people are so friendly. And Texans are friendly anyway. <laughs> and, and that's something that we found in our travels. Every, I mean, people are friendly all over the world. But there's just a different kind of friendly, you know, when you come to Texas. Um, but I just think that, you know, if, if you got out and explored and you met the people and you saw what, what all we really have here, that you would be really impressed. And that's one thing that, that really is, is one of the best parts of your show is that you're not only visiting beautiful places, but you're in, interacting with the locals. And, and that interaction plays a large role in, in what you and Dusty are doing. It's not just all waterfalls and glaciers and stuff like that. It's the people who live there. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's been that's been the best part for me, um, traveling and learning new cultures and meeting new people and learning their views. And, and they're complete, you know, maybe completely different from mine, but we can all sit and visit and it's just been it's been I mean we have friends all over the world and and that's special what's your favorite local restaurant 
Okay. Is it Taco Villa? (laughs) Close. No. No, if we're talking Amarillo, then it's got to be La Frontera. Okay. Um, La Frontera is just our go-to. If we're in town and we're going to stop for lunch, that's where we go. They have, to me, the best burritos in the world. And there's no other burrito like it. Have you ever had them? Yes. They're they're Mm -hmm. just so good. Um, But if we're talking the panhandle... I have two. Okay. So can I cheat? Yeah, I'll, I'll okay. allow it. <laughs> okay, so um, Hotel Turkey okay. in Turkey. Um, they have really breathed new life into that place. The food is great. The atmosphere is awesome. They have live music. I don't know that they can now, but they have a great outdoor area, live music. It's a really, really neat place. Also, the Lakeview Grill in Lakeview. Um, you would never even imagine Lakeview would have a restaurant. It's a teeny tiny community. Tell people where that is if it they don't know. It is. So it's a hop, skip, and a jump from Clarendon. It's 20 minutes maybe from Clarendon down 70. So if you're going like you're going to go to Turkey, instead of going right, you go left. That's how I do um, any of my directions, okay. right and left. <laughs> Um, but it's a tiny little town. They have a great restaurant. It's got a great, they've got a great outdoor venue with a stage. They have live music. The restaurant, I mean, the owners are super friendly. They have a great chicken fried steak. It's just something that you would never imagine being in that tiny town. It's a neat, neat place. Okay, good. Now maybe it's on listeners' radar. Then. Yeah. What's the most underrated aspect of living here? I think, again, um, it's the great outdoors. I mean, we have we have Paladura Canyon. We have um, Caprock Canyons. We have, we have all these lakes. We have just, there's so much beauty around here. And especially since kind of COVID has hit, and again, Dusty and me have done like everyone else and kind of stepped out and found new places. At Lake McClellan, they have... ATV trails out there that we've always known were there, mm-hmm. but we never realized how cool they are. And Yamaha pays to maintain them. And they're, they're challenging trails. They're, there are beautiful views from some of those vistas. It's just beautiful out there. Um, and we were out there a couple of weeks ago, and we've been out there several times recently. But we were out there a couple of weeks ago, and we went with my family and my brother. And it's the last run of the day, as it always goes. Mm-hmm. And my brother decided he's going to go hot dog it. And uh, he took my nephew's dirt bike out, had a crash, and he broke six ribs. Wow. So I'm not sure when we'll get back out there. (laughs) Um, He's on the mend and he's doing good. Um, But I think he realized just how old he really is. Yeah. Well, any time an adult tries to hot dog it, it's never going to go well. It never ends well, right? (laughs) You said you and Dusty had really been kind of thinking about the local destinations and attractions and, and what are the things that might draw people to this area that aren't always the high profile ones. So what's one of the what what's one of those that that really you've discovered that you think people ought to know about? Oh my gosh, there's just there's just so many. I you know, I don't know if a whole lot of people know about Lake McKenzie. And unfortunately all of our lakes are they're pretty dry. Yeah, yeah. But Lake McKenzie is still beautiful. The drive to Lake McKenzie down 207 is amazing. Um, that's also something we've been doing recently is reading a lot more. And so we've read a lot about the Hamlin Highway and how it came about. And it's incredible to think of those settlers, you know, and mm-hmm. what they must have gone through. And, I mean, just think about building those roads out to those places, you know, had to just be crazy amount of work. Um, 
but it's a beautiful drive. And Lake McKenzie is beautiful. Um, Greenbelt is great. I mean, you know, it's it's probably been busier this year out at Greenbelt than ever because people want to get out so much. But the wildlife, I mean, you know, we see deer and turkey and we have a pair of bald eagles that come out every year and you can just sit and watch them. Un- you can get right under the tree and hmm. watch these bald eagles. And so there's just so much of that. When we when you drive out to McKenzie, there's a huge herd of Audad sheep and they're beautiful. And so but you have to take the time to do that, to step out and find those things. Okay. And assuming travel becomes a part of our lives again, uh, I want to rely on your expertise. Why do you think people should travel? There are a lot of people living in this area that really have never ventured beyond this area. A lot of that is economic, but a you know, for some people, it's maybe just a, a lack of desire to really go out and see places like that. So why do you think people should do that? You know, because there's a great big world out there. I mean, there's a great big world out there, and it's just there for us to explore. And, you know, travel shouldn't be scary. Travel is knowledge, and to us, travel is life. I mean, I have done so many things that I never in a million years would have ever thought I would do. I have stepped out of my comfort zone like crazy. And it, it's been incredible. And we have friends all over the world that we wouldn't have had we not traveled. And so I, I, th- I think travel is important. And for me, travel completely changed my life. Okay. Nikki Green, that concludes my eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience in this area? So I got to go with Caprock Canyons. Okay. (laughs) Caprock Canyon State Park is, I had never been until we moved to this, back to this area. It's just, it's stunning. It's part of the same canyon system of Paladura mm-hmm. Canyon, um, but it's just stunning. It's less visited. Uh, you go out there, you've got the Texas State Bison Herd. Um, that herd is descend- the descendants from the Charles Goodnight Herd. Right. And, you know, we were out there recently talking to the superintendent of the park, Donald Beard, and and he's it's he's got some great stories, and it's fascinating um and then we were out another day we go a lot but we were out another day with jesse story i think she was one of your past guests she's a rock star i mean she is just incredible and so she took us to places that we still hadn't ever seen and it's just it's an incredible beautiful place and it's one of those places that you don't know if you should tell people about you know right if you should kind of keep it a little hidden jim um but yeah that would be it for sure okay Nikki Green, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I can't believe I made it through it. Yeah, you did. (laughs) We've all survived. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Sure. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Nikki Green for the interview. You can learn more about Two for the Road and watch full episodes at twofortheroad.com or look it up on Panhandle PBS. Thanks also to Blue Handle Publishing for sponsoring this episode and to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Eight Straight every week. Every episode is edited by the talented Angelina Marie. For voting information, visit pottercountyvotes.com or randallcounty.com. If you want to join the local people who support this podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash That's Patreon with an E. Supporters of Hey Amarillo through Patreon include executive producers Chris Elda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Barbara and Jim Witten, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, 
Wes Reeves, Jess Heredia, Ryan Pennington, Neil Nossiman, Katie Linger, and Joshua Rafe. This has been episode 167. That sounds like a lot. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.